When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Man thinks, because he rules the earth, he can do with it as he please. And if things don't change soon, he will. Oh, man has invented his doom. First step was touching the moon. Now there's a woman on my block. She just sit there as the night grows still. She say, who going to take away his license to kill? This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time, proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about License to Kill from 1983's Infidels is fellow Bobcat, Chaz Bowie. Hi, Chaz. Hey, Rob. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for being here. I'm excited to talk about this song. It's a great tune, uh, and there's a lot to say about it. But, of course, I have to ask you, Chaz, since you're new to the Mm -hmm. show, how did you become a fan? You know, uh, thanks to someone I am so grateful for. It was an adult who I barely knew when I was 13 or 14 years old who somehow had the insight to suggest that I listen to Bob Dylan. So I went and got the Times They Are Changing on cassette and became completely obsessed with it. And um, was really drawn to those finger pointing songs and his anger and his, you know his sort of righteous fury in those songs and sort of put them on a shelf. And years later, I picked up an album called Blood on the Tracks. <laughs> that uh, that was a that was a game changer. So from there, I, I you know got into all the all the big '60s work, Blood, Blonde on Blonde and Freewheeling and all those. And and for years, decades even. That's really where my fandom of Bob stood, is, is the most famous records, the ones through the 60s and Blood on the Tracks and maybe one or two others. And, you know, for any, any other artist, that library right there is more than enough for a lifetime and, and one of the best catalogs, certainly in rock history. But it was, it was really during the pandemic that things went overboard and, and I really fell down the, the Bob hole. So it was during the pandemic that I started, you know, caught up on all the albums and the bootleg series and the unofficial bootlegs and the, and the books. And, you know, I went, I went full Bob over the last couple of years. And he was nice enough to release a new album while you were in quarantine and stuff. Oh That's nice. uh, we had a, a new album. We had shadow kingdom too late, the bootleg series. It has been a, it's been a great year to be a Bob fan. So, okay. The, this friend that recommended, did you have any idea why this person thought, you would like it. I mean, obviously, you must have. To eat. They must have had some sort of sense that you would enjoy it because generally, you don't just go around recommending Bob Dylan <laughs> yeah. to people. Well, I do remember. So I was I was a angry young man, and I remember talking about music with this person. And this was it's around 1989, so like Wilbury's era Bob. And for a 13 year old, he did not have much social cash. You know, I thought he was just a hippie. So I said something about music. I was like, you know, I can't listen to that like, Bob Dylan kind of stuff. <laughs> I, was, I said, I need something like angry. And he, he's oh. like, you, he said, I think you might want to uh, try listening to Bob again. And, and really, that's how it started. And uh, yeah, flash forward a month. And I was literally transcribing all the lyrics by hand into a notebook to try to wrap my head around, around what he was singing about. You know, it, had a, it had a big effect very quickly. That's interesting that you started with Times Era Changing. Do you have any rec- any recollection why that one? It was just because maybe you knew that song. I think I I think that's probably it. Just because I knew the song. Once you get into Blunt on the Tracks, though, that's usually that's from the history of the show. Talking to people, that's always the one. If they if if somebody 
getting into yes. Bob early gets that album as like the second or third album. That's it. The hooks are in. You're done. At that <laughs> that's, point. that's exactly how it happened. And, <laughs> and if I ever had to turn on a stranger to Bob, that's probably where I'd start. Yeah, seriously. People, you know? Yeah. I mean, what are you- <laughs> have you ever had your heart broken? Yes. Then listen to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <exactly. laughs> so, okay. Well, have you seen Bob live? I haven't. I, um, this was the portion of the show I was dreading, but I never have. I, I gave in to all the talk about, you know, you, the songs are unrecognizable and they wouldn't be the songs you knew and wanted to hear. And it, I just kind of kept it. It was never super on my radar until now. And, you know, now I'm, kicking myself for decades of not seeing Bob. But hopefully my chance will come very soon. I'm waiting for these 2022 tour dates. It seems virtually guaranteed that he's going to swing by your neck of the woods. Yes. Uh, yes. But for as part of the Rough and Rowdy Ways tour. So yes, I hope you get hits. And it's sort of funny that when you say people warned you off of it, like he's not going to play any songs you know, and they're not going to sound yeah. You know, the way they do, which is like, the, that, those are both intrinsically true statements. They're not, I mean, some people mean that as a, as a, you know, in a pejorative sense, but for everyone else, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It, it sounded cautionary to me. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Well, I, well, I very much envy someone who has not seen Bob live yet because I would love to have that experience again for the first time. So I look forward to you having that experience because it's, it's, it, it's always, as we've said on other shows, every show is special. But that first time, yeah. realizing I was in the building with that guy, it's it's a uh, you know mm. you, you can't mm. you can't replicate. Yeah. It. yeah, I can't wait. Oh, that'll be really cool. All right, so well, let's talk about "License to Kill." Uh, this is the closing track from side one of Infidels back when there yep. were records, and. Um, uh, I quoted the initial uh, couple of uh, verses. Uh, the song goes on. Now they take him and they teach him and they groom him for life and they set him on a path where he's bound to get ill. Then they bury him with stars, sell his body like they do used cars. And then he goes back to the chorus. And there's a woman on my block. She just sit there facing the hill. She say, who's going to take away his license to kill? So of all the songs that we could have uh, been discussing, you pitched this one. I think you pitched this one, just this one initially. So why, yep. what, was, what is it about License to Kill that uh, maybe you want to talk about? Well, it's a song, you know, I love Infidels as much as, as most fans, or I love, what is it, like five-eighths of Infidels. And this song in particular, every time I heard it, it just sounded so, it sounded like it was about current events to me. It sounded like it was written about our world in 2020 and 2021, not, not a song that was written, you know, almost 40 years ago. Yeah, I, I think he just really, really gets at the heart of of some of uh, human nature and American nature and and you know social ills and all all the great topics that Bob digs into. I think I think here he really nails it. And it's a song with a lot of great versions. You know, there are great live versions and covers and a really versatile song. Uh, yeah, uh, obviously we are. Uh, it is a song that I heard. I first heard it, you know, whenever it is, I got infidels when I was getting into Bob, it would have been 1990, 91 or whatever. And it seemed relevant then. And it mm. sadly is relevant now uh, because we are living with this whole idea of this vast swath of people uh, that have had their brains turned to mush yes. uh, from, and, yes. and you yeah. know, whether it's, you could say it's from television or from social media or whatever, but it's, it's, and we're, we're awash in it now. We're just yes. completely in a wash in it. And uh, this song, it's remarkable that it, it seems so prescient. I mean, not yes. that Bob Dylan being prescient is not new, but this is so specifically prescient. Now, yes, it's 
it's fun. It's interesting to me because I, you know, I did some other research on it. I was seeing what some other people thought about it. Dismiss the song out of hand from that first, the last two lines in the first verse, which is the man has invented his doom. The first step was touching the moon as if the whole song is about that. And I've never, I've never taken it to be that. Now, even though now Bob himself has not helped the cause no, yes. by giving interviews where he talks about those lines and kind of doubles down on that notion that touching the moon was a bad thing for us to do. Uh, he gave that interview with Kurt Loder and Rolling Stone where he talks about it. And then there's a live version where he does it. He, the song, he starts the song off talking about, uh, the, 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 the astronauts and the challenger explosion Yes, and saying oh. they shouldn't have been up there on the first place, which, you know, you, you hear that and he just <laughs> sounds like a crazy old man who's, you know, completely stuck in his ways. And it's not the most, it's not the most positive thing you've ever heard him say, but I never took, even with those lines, I never took it a, as literal exactly that it was literally going mm. to the moon was a, was, is a, is a path to our destruction as it more was a lack of focus on what is really needed. And again, yeah. you could argue, well, we can, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, Bob. We can handle this and also do this. But the argument, I guess, Bob, is, well, we're not doing the one, the important thing. We're not yeah. dealing, we're not helping people back here, and we're focusing on this other thing. And so as the song continues on, I sort of look at those lines as it's one slight pathway he's taking but then we move on to something else yeah people really do get affixed to that line and i think just first from a from a literary perspective i mean it's an incredible turn of phrase man has invented his doom first step was touching the moon i mean anyone who can write a couplet like that regardless of what you think of the politics of it is you know they're they're swinging for the fences so you know i think it is funny. I was watching just the other night. I was watching that Questlove documentary, The Summer of Soul, about the, mm. the 69 con- concerts in 1969. And there was a whole segment of the, of the movie that, that showed differences, the different reactions between white Americans and black Americans to the moon landing. And it was a very um, mm. pronounced difference. And um, the, the African Americans who were featured, you know, their common refrain was, we have enough you know, similar to Bob's, we have enough problems here. There's poverty, you know, there, there's homelessness, there's hunger. And, um, you know, this isn't where, where we need to be focusing our attention. And then the next year, so that was 69. Um, and it was the next year, 1970, that Gil Scott Heron put out uh, Whitey's on the Moon, which sort of has a similar message. You know, there's, he, he sings about like the, the struggles here on earth, you know, he sings no hot water, toilets, no lights, but Whitey's on the moon. So, you know, I don't think Bob was just pulling something out of nowhere with this. You know, I think this was a, this is a sentiment, sentiment that had probably been brewing for um, a couple decades at least. And um, yeah, he, he busted it out early in this song. Yeah. And I, you know, all of us, I think uh, have some moment in our lives where we've seen some development of technology and we kind of just go, why do we have that? Why do we have that? Yeah. We can't. We can't figure out how to feed people properly. We can't figure out how to give people healthcare properly. We can't figure out how to educate people properly. We can't keep children safe in their schools, but we can do this thing. So, I mean, obviously, landing on the moon is you know a different is a different thing than than any of those minor kind of things out there where you see you know, like this sort of silly technology to make ourselves even mm. more comfortable or something like that. But it, again, it's I from the beginning I never took that as 
some grand indictment of the space program or anything like that, or Dylan, that the whole song is focused on that. Because like I said, I think there's so much more to it after it goes on. Um, the, the song goes on. He says that now he's hell bent for destruction. He's afraid and confused and his brain has been mismanaged with great skill. Oh. And all, all he believes are his eyes and his eyes. They just tell him lies. I mean, again, we are living through that yes. right now. We are, you know, people saying, no, that thing's not happening. And it's like, what are we talking about? As much as I don't like to pin any Dylan song to, to a singular event, because obviously he's not talking about that event because he wrote it, you know, 30 years ago. It's hard not to, it's hard not to get discouraged when some event, uh, you know, happened, let's say just this year. Uh, <laughs> and yes. we have, you know, video footage of, uh, you know, fuck it let's be specific i mean people storming right. the capitol and killing police officers and then you have a whole group of people now that are like oh that's not what happened and you're like i'm literally looking at it i'm <laughs> i'm literally looking at what you're talking about and you're denying that it's happening and it is it makes you just throw your hands up and it's just like well, what what's ha- like what what's going on how can you deny this when you can see it again with your own eyes yeah, and, and, you know, I think getting to the question of how did we get here, I mean, the lines are just so, he's hell-bent for destruction. He's afraid and confused. I mean, if that doesn't describe a, a great swath of, of our country right now. And then, you know, when I just wonder, how, how can we get here? His brain has been mismanaged with great skill. Great this skill. This is a multi, multi, multi-million dollar enterprise. You know, billions of dollars going into sort of creating these worldviews that run contrary to people's own self-interest. And all he believes are his eyes, and his eyes, they just tell him lies. And, you know, if you're sitting around, I mean, I guess you could say, I th- it makes me think of Fox News, obviously, but I guess you could say, even if you're watching The Daily Show every night, no, ma- no matter which way your orientation is, maybe not lies, but certainly getting that um, reinforcement of, of our own uh, worldview. I I have always the the lies they his eyes they just tell him lies. I I've always when I've watched stuff on television that that, that I'm supposedly trying to get the news from or some information. It's not just entertainment. I always have the kind of I don't know. I feel like I had that line in my mind where if I catch somebody lying to me, then I know they're mm. lying to me, even if I'm on quote unquote their side on a particular issue. That's mm. when I tune out. That's yeah. when I tune out because I'm just like, well, okay, you really can't be trusted anymore. Telling me what's really going on. They're trying to lie to me to achieve some agenda. Even if it's an agenda that I agree with, I just get distrustful of that. And again, the, the, the idea that in, in that verse, they all he believes are his eyes and his li- eyes, they just tell him lies. It's, is the person, do you think the person in that verse is telling himself that his eyes are telling him lies? Or do you think that that's mm. what's really happening is that he is, he is only seeing, he's only believing what he's seeing. And that's the stuff that's being mismanaged with great skill, by the way, wonderful turn of phrase, great skill. That's a very particular yes. way of referring to it with great skill. Well, and also on the next line, you know, instead of just rhyming eyes with lies, because eyes, eyes, lies. Mm-hmm. And it just throws in this different little, it's one of those things that he does that just activates your brain and gets it off on a pilot. And it, it's a little quirk that you couldn't see that just gives it a rhythm and, and 
Um, it's just one of those unexpected little internal rhymes that, you know, where the sound of it just gives it so much more weight than the words alone would be. Right. But yes, yeah, so I've, I've always assumed this was a person, you know, I imagine somebody with their eyes glued to, um, let's just say Fox News and believing every word of it. Yeah. You know, and his eyes are just telling them lies. So yeah. the woman on the block sitting there in a cold chill, she says, you could take away is in your, in your mind, what is that? Who is this person? Is she, is this person the soul of America? Is that what's going on? Is this sort of, uh, I mean, it, it metaphorically, it reminds me a lot of blind Willie McTell. It has that hmm. similar kind of feel to it of like someone who is representing the soul of the country sitting off to the side and just watching everything crumble around them and mm. wondering when things are going to change. You know, I think I read this a little different than, than sort of the popular interpretation of it. You know, it seems like when I was looking around, there, there's this idea that the woman, yes, is the voice of reason and, um, and you know, peace and, and humanity. But maybe it's, you know, maybe my mind has been so mismanaged with great skill. But in this year of 2021, you know, violence and waving around guns and gun ownership to me is no longer just a gendered issue. You know, I mean, we've got female members of women in Congress who are, you know, taking Christmas photos, brandishing their guns. So I don't know, just based on the tone that, that Dylan sings it in, I've always sort of heard it as though she's maybe almost a partner, maybe complicit. Hmm. Like, uh, who's going to dare to take away his gun? I, haven't, I, I never heard it as, will someone please do this? I just heard it more like, who, who's going to knock this chip off my shoulder? Oh, that's really interesting. Oh, wow. That, yeah, that's completely different than however I ever took it. That's that, like it's a dare or something. Yes, that's, how, that's just sort of how I've always heard it. And, you know, the, again, the, just the tone that he sings it in. I never really get, you know, she's just sitting there facing the hill, you know, sitting there in a the cold chill. Uh, you know, she doesn't seem too too distraught. She just sits there as the night grows still. I, that's really great. I really like that. I've never again. I've listened. I've been listening to the song for thirty years, but I've never considered that. Uh, you know, I always took that one meaning and sort of locked it in my head. But that's that's really interesting. I like that. Yeah, like the, well, that person is as complicit as everything else going on in the song. Yeah, that that's that's one read of it. Yeah, oh, I like that a lot. So. Uh, the song goes on and says, you may be a, a noisemaker, spirit maker, heartbreaker, backbreaker, leave no stone unturned, maybe an, an actor in a plot that might be all that you got till your error, you clearly learn. I mean, again, the word plot and actor, yeah. I mean, we throw around the term crisis actor is being used mm. all the time now. Any, anybody that mm. does anything that you don't like, they're a crisis actor. Yeah. Uh, but And then the idea that you might be an actor in a plot that might be all that you got. I mean, again, that we've seen what's been going on. A lot of people out there who presume they have licenses to kill are imagining themselves in the movie of their lives. And of mm. course, they're the main character. And this idea that they're kind of simultaneously seeing themselves that way and it's a good thing. And then they're also supposedly uh, railing against it because, you know, the, the, the forces of the elites are against them or something like that. And they're, they're the puppet masters pulling the strings. So this whole notion of paranoia and not being able to trust what you see and what you hear. Uh, I love that he sort of digs deeper uh, with this, with this verse, uh, the matter. And again, the idea of the matter what you are, you're a noisemaker, a spear maker. Again, this, this kind of stuff reminds me of um, got to serve somebody. This kind of just endless 
oh, repetition yeah. of terms, noisemaker, spirit maker, heart baker, brack baker, brack, excuse me, backbreaker, hard to say. And then to your error, you clearly learn. Is that the kind of thing where uh, in, in, in your mind, Chaz, like you'll, you'll only realize this till you wake up from this? Is that in, in your mind, is that how it's, what the read is? Uh, I think so. Like how you were saying earlier that once you realize you're being lied to, no matter whether it's supposedly in your best interest or not, once you, once you wake up, it's over, you know, and, and you're done with that person. And, you know, the part about the actor and the plot definitely made me think, you know, first of Shakespeare and all the world's a stage mm-hmm. and men and women merely players. So I, I went and looked at that soliloquy and it's really interesting. He's talking about Shakespeare in that parts, writing about the seven stages of, of man. And one of them seems to really kind of fit this song. So he, he talks about you, you be a student and then a, a lover. And he says, then a soldier full of strange oaths and bearded like the leopard, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation, even in the cannon's mouth. Which, geez, you know, you think Bob can write. <laughs> write a couplet, <laughs> seeking the bubble reputation, even in the canon's mouth. And to me, I mean, this sounds really thematically the same. When I hear bubble reputation, you know, in our contemporary parlance, I would say viral, seeking to go viral, get your reputation on that bubble that's really built out of nothing and can pop, even in the canon's mouth. So while, face it, you know, would rather, uh, is, is fine to choose infamy maybe over even their own life, seeking that bubble reputation, even in the canon's mouth. So not acting in one's own best interest, but acting out this narrative, this plot that, that has been drawn up for them as a character until your error, you clearly learn. And to me, that's, it's almost like the Buddhist cycle of suffering, you know, you're, or Groundhog Day. You know, you're, <laughs> you're bound to repeat it until you learn the lesson and then you can sort of graduate to the next lesson. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Right. Like finally moving on, achieving enlightenment and moving on yes. to the next. Oh, all right. That's interesting. Like defending your life of the Albert Brooks or something. When you finally conquer your <laughs> right. fear, you get moved on to the next life. So, uh, and then the, the penultimate verse, which is just, this is four lines that I think are some of the best four lines he's ever written mm. in a song. Uh, now he worships at an altar of a stagnant pool. And when he sees his reflection, he's fulfilled. That is social media in two lines. Yes. Right yes, there. Yes, thank <laughs> I mean, you. it's yes. just everything about social media, which of course Bob is quite good at because he uses it quite well, bobdillon.com. Uh, but I mean, worshiping at an altar of a stagnant pool. And when you see a reflection, you're fulfilled. I mean, I, it's like, what? I feel like that should be the epigram of every social media platform, which of course, again, I use all the time. But nevertheless, this idea of, of an altar of a stagnant pool yeah. and then getting your, uh, getting fulfilled from your own reflection. I mean, it's just Jiminy Christmas. It is. I know. And the stagnant pool, we're not talking about moving water. We're not no, talking about fetid, stream. We're talking. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, to me, it's an allusion to narcissists, you know, who, who basically died, committed suicide after becoming enchanted with his own reflection in the water you know narcissus mom was told in a prophecy that is that he would live a live a long life as long as he never got to know himself or recognize himself it's different in different translations 
And then one day when Narcissus discovers his, his reflection in some stagnant water, you know, he becomes so enchanted and despaired that he can't have the illusion that he kills himself. And we know Bob loves his Greek mythology. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty certain this was at least bumping around maybe somewhere in his head. Of, oh, I'm sure. I mean, again, again, this, the, the, the reflection and getting fulfilled from that, it's just, again, it's just staggering. It's staggering of yeah. what, what was in his mind in 1983 yeah. and then how completely applicable it is to nowadays. Uh, I mean, they said, like, like we were talking about earlier, people feel they are the stars of their own personal movie. And it's all, mm-hmm. there's so much performative assholery out there. Uh, that's just staggering and it's just about being performative that's it that's the whole point of it is to trigger a reaction in someone's face and that's all that you get out of it and it's it's just really it's just amazing like i i can think of like an example like over the holidays a, a friend of mine on twitter posted that one of those things that you know you say can two people copy and paste this to, oh, to, right. to recognize that someone's out there listening. And I, I generally don't go for those things, but, but for the, the person that posted it, I like very much. And so I did it. I took that and I posted it because I felt like, okay, that's a worthwhile thing over the holidays. Some people get very sad and lonely. And I, you know, it was written as can two people post this to know that someone's out there and somebody that I don't even know responded to me with no. And I thought, does that make you feel good about yourself? Just being in, yeah, yeah. What a contribution! And I just, I just, you know, I was like, well, okay, you're blocked, and I, I don't respond to people like that because they want the response. That's what yeah, they, they want. Saw their, they saw their reflection, and they were briefly fulfilled. Briefly fulfilled. Yeah, I mean, it's just like okay. So, I mean, anytime I, I used to, you know, in the early days of social media, I would respond to those people, and then I realized, well, that's what they want. That is what they yeah. want. They they, they don't mind short. being called and they don't mind being called an you know an asshole or whatever. They just want the response. So now they just get blocked and they're out of my life social media wise forever. But man, I just thought, yeah, it's it's just unbelievable. And then the second two lines where Bob goes from explaining all of social media in two lines, oh man is opposed to fair play. He wants it all and he wants it his way. That is all of mankind <laughs> summed up yeah. in two lines. And so I, how have these Two lines never been written before in human history. You know, it, it seems like it's just there waiting. You know, I mean, it, it encompasses so much with just little short common words and one rhyme. Boy, like you said, he, he really gets, gets to the core of human nature in those 12 words or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, it's unreal. That it's that something this deeply profound is sort of, I don't want to say buried in this song because it's a song like anything else, but just... It's it's not one of his most famous songs, and again, you really feel like every time I I see something about the human race, it just discourages me. Uh, I think of those lines opposed mm-hmm. to fair play. I want it all, and I want like nothing is good enough. I have to have everything the way I want it, and that's it. And it's just it's unreal. And again, I seriously think this is one of the best single verses he's ever penned in terms of how wow. applicable it is yeah. in perpetuity, and. And with such a minimum of language, like you're talking about, I mean, how many, this isn't visions of Johanna. These are, these are very short lines he's doing here. Yep. Just a little AA rhyme scheme right there. Just a little rhyming couplet. And he says so much. Yeah. It's unreal. And so then the the final uh, verse is another chorus. There's a woman on my block. She just sits there as the night goes still. 
She's like, who's going to take away his license to go? By the way, I, I love that he changes that second line each time. Mm-hmm. Sitting there, you know, sitting there, never, yeah. Yep. He sure does. Sitting there facing the hill, sitting there in a cold chill, sitting there as the night grows still. It's just, again, it kind of keeps you like awake a little bit. Uh, although he repeats the night grows still at the first verse and the fourth verse, but just by changing it up each time, it's, he's, you know, you're, you're having to pay a little more attention. It's like, oh, wait, this is changing every time he's yeah. getting to it. Well, and, and it has that great little riff right in the course, there, that little descending, doom, doom, doom. Um, you know, I don't know if that's a riff or a chord progression, but it's that, I think it's kind of the most musically interesting part of the song is that little uh, descending. There's a woman on my block. Boom, boom, boom. You know which part I'm talking about. Yeah. I, I certainly can't get at it here. <laughs> but that the imagery of the woman on the block, to me, it's very, it, very film noir sounding to me. You know, it has a very mm. mysterious, uh, maybe like an Edward Hopper painting sort of. <laughs> We know love. We know that Bob loves film noir too. We we yes. know that. Yes. Uh, yeah, I've noticed that all the covers of the song, and there are many, mm-hmm. uh, that they all of them uh, keep that that descending, like you know the the the, the guitar line. Again, f- forgive me using. I don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to music, but they all keep that. All the versions yeah. have that. Dun, 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 like they all use it because I think it really is sort of the spine of the song. Um, now, this song has been performed live not a whole lot, only 46 times between 1984 and 1998. Uh, of course, famously, it was one of the songs Bob sings on his David Letterman appearance. Yes. In 1984. Now, that's not listed here. They don't list it as a concert. Um, what do you think of that version? Oh, I love it. I mean, that's it could be if it's not my favorite version, it might be tied with it. I think it is the ultimate cool Bob. I mean, musically, it sounds terrific. Visually, him with his skinny jeans and a skinny tie. And at the end of the song, he's, you know, he's playing harp with his left hand and directing the band with his right. I mean, it is like creme de la cool Bob. And, and I love the band. I love, I love that whole Letterman set. So big fan of that. And I was thrilled it showed up on the um, Springtime in New York on the uh, third man box set, at least. It's, it is a little baffling uh, that the, the Joker man and the don't start me talking are not on the set, but like, I agree. I'm so right there. How is Joker man not on there? Like, what is that? Like, why are you only giving us two of the th- two, one of the three songs? It's very, very strange. Um, but yeah, that, that version, I actually, in a lot of ways, prefer that version to the one on Infidels, because the one on Infidels, I feel, is almost a little too soft. It's a little little too gentle. Uh, I love that Letterman where he's punching it. Um, But I love the way that he sings Man Thinks, and then, Mm. like, way ahead of the rest of the band. Before the band, yeah. If you don't don't really aren't paying attention, you'll miss it, because he's like, Man Thinks. Yeah, he's like, you know, Letterman does a license to kill, and they cop it, and he's like, Man Thinks. Because he rules the earth. <laughs> Imagine if you're listening, like, wait, what? What did he just say? You know. But yeah, I just, I absolutely love that version. And we did a whole episode about the Letterman appearance, yeah. and it is just confounding that he didn't think to bring those guys into the studio with him and record well, a record or take them on tour. Because man, though, I listen to those three songs on Letterman uh, via YouTube a lot. Yeah. I mean, it is just so high energy and so punchy and punky and cool. 
And it's just, oh, you just wish there was more of this. Could, I mean, as much as I love Infidels, could you imagine what Infidels would have sounded like with these guys playing these songs? Holy jeez. Well, have you heard that tribute album, the Dan- Daniel Romano's outfit, where they covered the entirety of Infidels in the style of Bob Dylan and the Plugs? Oh, no, I have not. It's amazing. I mean, it is practiced. It is faithful. It's on Bandcamp only. It's not on, like, the major streaming sites. Gotcha. gotcha. But, uh, yeah, this guy, he d- does the whole album. I mean, even on Joker Man, the part where uh, Bob grabs the wrong harmonica and you know, <laughs> lose it, loses a whole verse, that's, that's, that's left in the song, just that whole instrumental break. It's really cool. Um, oh, that's that yeah, Daniel awesome. Romano's outfit. That's is that the, that's the name of the band or the album? That's the name the of the band. Yeah, Daniel Romano's that's the name of the album. Band. And then I think the album's called "What Could Have Been" oh, j- or something like that. Oh wow! Yeah. I have got to check yeah, that really out. Cool. That sounds amazing because yeah, that Letterman appearance is great. Uh, and again, it's it's just a marvelous version. Now, um, speaking of cover, well, speaking of other versions, the other one I'm most well. First of all, Bob does this himself on the real live record yep, yep. Uh, right after, which was released right after this. I think that version's okay. He's kind of yelling it a little bit and I'm not big on the guitar solo at the end. It's mm-hmm. like that. I'm just kind of like, eh, right. Um, but obviously he liked it enough to, to include on the record. But the other version that I'm more familiar with is at the 30th anniversary tribute concert where it was covered by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And I love that version. I think that is a great version. And I specifically love the way, Tom Petty sings it where he kind of drops his voice down into a slightly lower register in specific lines and he doesn't sing it anymore. And he's just kind of talking it. Uh, I love that where, you know, what he says, he sings like now he's hell bent for destruction. And then he goes, he's afraid and confused. Like he just kind of cuts the more spoken word. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. I thought it was, I think it's great. I really love their cover. Well, you were there for that live, weren't you? Yes, I was. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, of all, like, that is quite the, yeah, I think quite that's the Bob it. moment. Yeah. I mean, and I always, you know, I always found it so interesting that, like, when, um, you know, when, when somebody like that is given, because, of course, Petty and the Heartbreakers were given two songs to do. And the second song they did was Rainy Day Women 12 and 35, which is just a great rave up of a song to do in concert and it's fun to sing. But it, it, I always, I always loved, I would love to know, like, the, the thought process, like why license to kill? Well, what, you know, now of course, mm-hmm. Bob, Bob played it a lot. They did it a lot. Together, in yeah. With Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers when they were on tour together. So maybe it was just something they were more familiar with as opposed to other songs. But I love it when, to me, that's very instructive about something about the, the kind of songs that Petty loves from Bob, that he sings that one, that he chose to do a, a relatively obscure one. But man, that cover is great. And then I, the, you, the guitar solo at the end. Is fan- you know, that's a four Campbell, star yeah. guitar solo. Yeah, yeah, it's terrific. It's really terrific. And then uh, on YouTube, there were a lot of covers, like a lot. And this was mm-hmm. a little surprising considering how relatively obscure the song is. There was one by by Maria Moldauer, which I thought yep, was good. Nice. And then yep. there was one by Jack White, uh, oh, which I, didn't I thought watch was yeah, it's an acoustic one, uh, which I thought was really interesting as well. And he even introduces that this is a song by by Bob Dylan, and he changes some of the words a little bit which again, I think Bob is probably perfectly fine with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, and it was covered by a bunch of people that I'm not familiar with, but I mean, I, I stopped around half a dozen after that. I stopped listening to it. I was like, I'm going to listen to too many more of this, but it was like, wow, this just goes on and on how much the song's been covered by, by random people. 
Yeah, there was a um, Roseanne Cash one that I liked a lot. Oh, I on saw YouTube. that one too, yes. That yes. was very pretty. And then just today, I had never heard it before, but the Cowboy Junkies um, oh, I didn't see that did, a, one. did a real lovely. That's on, on the streaming sites. So that was real nice, I thought. I will, oh. I will shout out one other version of the song that people can um, check out. It's from uh, 1995 in Prague. And those were the shows where Bob had the flu Ooh. and didn't play guitar and just sang and, and played harmonica and even like sat down for a lot of the show. I think it's oh, okay. two shows. All right. Yeah. And boy, him just being able to focus on the vocals in the lyrics, License to Ill, Prague, 1995, if you like this song. To me, it's, it holds its weight with the Letterman version of wow. the show as it, it really it makes you hear it differently yeah wow all right i'll have to check that one out that sounds that sounds fantastic i mean that's high praise saying it's as good as the the letterman version now uh it was interesting that he he sang it in the 80s and then retired it uh until the 90s and then he got some brief appearances in 93 94 95 and then back to 1998 and then that was it it's been it's been a full 23 years since he's done it again uh, so, which is too bad because I think it's a, it's a, it's just a terrific song. And again, completely relevant to where the, <laughs> to what we're living through right now. And, uh, man, again, I would love to hear him, you know, try it with this, this, this current iteration of his band. There, there are a couple other Bob songs that I think it has some interesting connections to. If, um, the first one I thought of was back from times they are changing only a pawn in their game, which is about this violence that comes from a, a, a mismanagement of uh, someone's brain. You know, if, you know, this is the shooter of, of Medgar Evers. He's taught in his school from the start by the rule that the laws are with him to protect his white skin, to keep up his hate, so he never thinks straight of the shape that he's in, but it ain't him to blame. He's only a pawn in their game. And, you know, that's a moral complexity from Bob that no one was singing about at this time. You know, you would think this would be the most open and shut case of condemnation against these, you know, this murderer. But Bob's saying there's this nuance to it that, you know, these brains have been mismanaged with great skill and they've been lied to and, and given agendas that have led to this murder. Um, in a way that doesn't excuse them, but certainly makes it a more complicated situation. Well, and then right after Infidels on um, uh, Empire Burlesque is Clean Cut Kid. That's the one I was going to mention. Is it, it, It's very yeah. similar to Clean, Clean Cut Kid. Yeah, I, I think Clean Cut Kid is a less artful version of the same, of the same themes. It's, it's sillier and more dark humor. Uh, then license yeah. to kill the, the you know eating Burger Kings and hanging out with Peter O'Toole. Yes. It's it's more of kind of like a Mad Magazine kind of version of the same idea. But yeah, there's a lot of similarities there, and maybe that's why Clean Cut Kid didn't make it onto Infidels, even though it was recorded for that uh, record originally. Well, you know, I didn't know that. But that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Well, there's a, another. No, that there's a version of Clean Cut Kid from the springtime in New York sessions, which I actually like quite a bit. So yeah, it was a song that got held over, but I could see him probably saying, eh, you know, do we need, these are, these are similar songs. You don't need them on the same record. Well, there's another couple like uh, sort of repeating themes inside of Infidel, you know, going back to the first verse of License to Kill, 
about uh, inventing this doom and its first step was touching the moon. It made me think first of Too Late, which was, of course, held off infidels. And in the first verse there, uh, they said it was a natural situation. He reached too high and tumbled back to the ground. So, you know, like a little Icarus hmm. uh, reference there of uh, reaching too high. And then a couple songs later on uh, Union Sundown, if we want to talk about ridiculous bob lines involving the moon, you know, they used to grow food in Kansas. Now they want to grow it on the moon and eat it raw. <laughs> <laughs> so he clearly had it. It was very much on his mind. Yeah. <laughs> in, uh, in 83. Yeah. So that sometimes it can feel like, Bob, turn off the television. Just stop. Stop. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> yes. Stop. stuff. All right. Uh, but yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's an absolutely, like I said, it's a terrific, terrific song. Uh, and then, uh, as we now uh, saw, thanks to the Springtime in New York series, they made a quote-unquote video for it, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. just Bob and the band performing the song and Bob lip-syncing pretty well for yeah. for, for Bob Dylan, uh, you know, whose lip-syncing is legendarily terrible. It's 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 not bad. It's funny, though, when you think when you watch them, maybe some of the guys are, are – uh, nervous about being on camera or very least uncomfortable but like man mark knopfler looks like he's about as bored as he could possibly be and like for the rest of us they're like so he's in there next to bob dylan why isn't this exciting and they're all just like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's just like slight dunbar yeah. and robbie shakespeare are there and, uh, the the you know uh it's and, like, alan clark uh mick taylor they just look like they are That's bored so, out yes. of their minds yeah one of my favorite parts in that video is when uh uh, I think it's Sly Dunbar on bass. Sometimes I mix them up. Goes up to Mark Knopfler with a bass, and he's you know sort of engaging him and trying to get him into the groove a little bit. You know, I think maybe having seen Mark Knopfler standing around, just twiddling with the guitar a little bit. Yeah, it's when I when that video got released, I was like, how has this footage not been put out till now? How how have we, yeah. how have they been sitting on this for for thirty five years of? This close-up footage of Bob in a recording studio. I mean, there's now that the the Beatles thing is out. Like, give me, give me all that. You know, now that we got foot, there's footage of Bob literally making his records. Come on, let's let's get the, get this, put this out, Sony. What are you doing? What are we waiting for? Yeah, when they got Bob to lip, you know, lip sync, and you know, I I would love to see that conversation. Seriously, yeah, Bob, could you put a little more animated, a little more animated, or whatever? So, but yeah, it's it. It's just a, it's just an absolutely terrific song. It just it sounds as fresh and as written, you know, like it was written yesterday or something. You could sort of imagine it on rough and ratty ways in some ways. With the, I love to hear that new that uh, current Bob Dylan voice on it. So he said yeah. it's just an absolutely masterful song. So, well, uh, Chaz, I mean, geez, thank you for, for coming on to talk about this. I said, this is just, I love this song so much and I'm glad we finally had a chance to cover it on the show. Me too. I've been having this conversation in my brain for about a year. So I, it's fantastic to be able to talk about it with a, with an actual human. And get, some <laughs> of these, get some of these ideas out. So it's been there a, you it's go. Been a yeah. real pleasure. You exercise those demons as it were. So, okay. Uh, I have to ask you the standard question that I've been asking everybody now. So that's from the uh, pomegranate County irregulars. If you got invited to a Bob tribute concert and you're on first, what song would you perform? Chaz? License to kill. You would do the like, Letterman version, the rocked up version. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I might try the prog version. I might uh, sit down on an amp and just really give it, give it the vocal, uh, give it my all vocally. All right. But, I got yeah. I really gotta hear that version that you're talking about. And then that album that you mentioned, that sounds just fantastic. Like I said, that's 
I, I it's so frustrating that we didn't get more uh, infidel songs sounding like they do on that Letterman appearance. It's so amazing, just so, so good. As soon as that uh, springtime in New York was announced, that was the first thing I wanted to know. Are the Letterman songs on it? Yeah, oh, you know, it's so good stuff. So, okay, well, uh, thank you again. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Uh, I'm on Twitter, not super active, but I'm there at Chaz Bowie, and I'm uh, reading everyone's Bob Dylan tweets every day and stuff. So you can find me on there and engage and tell me if I missed anything in the song. or <laughs> that, that always happens. It yeah. always uh, Every show I ever do after I'm done, I'm like, oh, I forgot to mention this thing. <laughs> Heard him, everybody. Check him out on, on Twitter. So for this show, you can find all the back episodes on our website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to Pod Dylan on any podcatcher of your choice. And if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, just go to patreon.com slash FW Podcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, Sebastian Krug, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, and Paul Ruther for their support of Pod Dylan. I very much appreciate it. That's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you later. Bye. Thank you, folks. Uh... What are you going to do now, Bob? License to kill. License to kill. Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Dylan. <laughs>